Max, welcome to the RevAmp podcast show. We are absolutely delighted to have you aboard here today. For those that don't already know you, um, perhaps you can just start off by telling, uh, telling us a little bit about who you are, your role, and a little bit more about your company. Yeah, uh, Max Outdrill here. How's everybody doing? I am the uh, VP of Marketing at Outreach.io, the leading sales engagement platform. Uh, came over here from uh, Sales Hacker, a company I founded back in 2013 um, called Sales Hacker. And that is the uh, leading publication, largest publication um, for B2B salespeople. Uh, so we have about 175,000 uh, B2B salespeople subscribers who come to us, uh, you know, every day and, and want to research, you know, how can they um, do more with less, uh, you know, and how do they go further and fa further, faster um, in their sales orgs and also their sales careers. So I've uh, been in uh, the sales tech space now between the media company and the salt and, and outreach for about eight years. Um, so I've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of growth, seen a lot of companies get venture funding in the sales tech space. Um, seen, you know, hyper growth companies come out of nowhere. And I've also been able to see uh, zero to a hundred million in ARR, both on the sales and marketing sides of businesses, um, you know, in all aspects of GTM um, at, uh, at, at B2B companies and SaaS companies. So it's been a, it's been a fun time. That's fantastic. And I, I understand that most of that was this, this morning before you got out of bed, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was just today. Yeah. Um, so Max, to kind of bring the conversation forward, you know, obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of our listeners are, are respectively sales operations and revenue operations professionals. And, uh, and having interviewed so many and spoken to so many uh, over, over a period of time, I appreciate that it's sometimes hard for them to get inside the, uh, the decision-making framework and mindset of the kind of the VP of marketing. And I think even more so, the VP of marketing and the decision-making that you have to make um, during a time like COVID-19 where there's been a downturn, budgets have been affected, there's been a change in perhaps buyer, behave, buyer behavior and perhaps, uh, you know, the way that it impacts several stages uh, along the pipeline. From your perspective as a marketing leader, what has been some of the kind of critical decision-making and framework processes that you've had to think through um, when prioritizing budget and marketing and everything that goes with that? Yeah. Um, well, it's been a, a hectic year. It's definitely one not like the others. So I'd say in a, in a normal year, we're focused on what are our, um, you know, key objectives. Some people use OKRs, um, other use um, um, lead and lag measures and, and things like that. Um, or what's it called? WAG? I think it's like, I forgot what the acronym was. Holy crap. We've been harping on this for like two years and I forgot the acronym, but there's also like a, you know, um, um, big, hairy, aggressive goals or whatnot. You could use any or smart goals, things like that, whatever it is, I think you need to figure out what your focus is and then work backwards from that. So um, in previous years we did, you know, field events where we nested under demand gen to so demand gen had their budget. We had a brand budget. We have our community budget and it's broken down. Um, into all those different silos. And I think this year we've, um, we've, we've gone ahead since COVID and said, okay, we have to double down on some things of hardcore focus 
and let a lot of the other things go because the, the budgets shrink, the resources shrink, but also the attention spans shrink. You are in a world now where we used to have in real life and virtual on the sales and marketing sides of our, our businesses. In real life has just been taken off the table. There's no more flying out to offices and shaking people's hands or them coming to you. And there's no more conferences and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, where you can have a booth, get leads, uh, you know, meet over coffee, et cetera, et cetera. So everything shrinks to virtual. So now everything is more saturated, more noisy than ever before. And I think towards the beginning of this year, we were able to double down on some things that worked and, and then you have to pivot over time as, as things get more saturated. So maybe virtual events work, maybe webinars work, then everybody does a virtual event or a webinar, they no longer work. So you got to find, you know, what, what's the next thing going to be and, and, and how to put your, your, um, your financial backing behind that, whether it's software that's going to power uh, those things um, or budget towards ad spend or budget towards brand or, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when, when I looked at the same situation um, back in the first couple of days of COVID-19, I remember looking at a piece of research from 2008 from the economic crash back then. Yeah. Um, and, there was, and there was some good kind of data that came from that in retrospect. Uh, one of the things that I, that I remember is that those that shrunk back on budget typically didn't come out well after the uh, economic downturn and the ones that doubled down, tripled down, whatever, on brand and led with kind of their storytelling were the ones that came out ahead. And definitely for everybody during times like that, pure acquisitional performance marketing is, is challenging because not everybody wants to be sold to during a downturn. In fact, most people might feel alienated by a brand who who tries to lead with selling first rather than acknowledging yeah. the status quo. I mean, it's not just about acknowledging the status quo. It's about that people might not be able to buy right now. So what do you do to keep them warm? Well, you have to, you have to nurture, you have to provide value, just keep delivering value. And then when things come back, they'll want to buy from you. So, you know, like you mentioned, having things that don't cost a lot of money come in handy right now like community content and you know, well seoed content engine uh the ability to the ability to market to people without having to spend that money in a time like this is so important if, if, if your you know biggest form of driving leads before was in-person conferences and you know food advertising uh it's gonna be it's gonna be a painful time for you but if you were able to use that time wisely, you know, before and um, build a content engine, build a community, um, be able to nurture folks during this time. So when they're ready to buy, they can buy from you. Yeah. Uh, you can be in a much better place. Absolutely agreed. I saw one, one nice thing that I noted that you did uh, with Outreach uh, several months back was pretty quickly you built out some kind of marketplace is the wrong word, some kind of forum where people that were perhaps losing their jobs or looking for jobs could come to your marketplace via outreach.io and kind of get on the message board and, and, and maybe jump back on uh, the wagon sooner rather than later. I really appreciated that, not because I was uh, applying for work, but just that you led with, you led with the value that you were hoping to bring to your audience. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we wanted to, to, to figure out in a time like that, how to give back. Um, and in, it, like again, these things don't cost 
a lot of money. Um, we, we actually came up with that. I came up with that on a hike that I took on a Saturday, the job board. So the one you're talking about was our, our um, outreach.ir slash get hired. We did a whole get hired campaign around it. But I remember being on a webinar with somebody and somebody asked me how I was doing. I said, I feel like I have survivor's guilt. Like I got a nice roof over my head. I have a job um, and nobody in my family has COVID. And this was like, a, you know, the kind of the peak scariness of this whole thing. And there were a lot of people losing their jobs. A lot of people have been posting about it. So I felt like, you know, us being a leader in, in the sales uh, space um, in the sales industry, we need to do something about it. So our, our way to give back to our, our customers was to be, to be able to create a job board for the ones that were still hiring. Um, and then vice versa, like let people know that here are the best sales jobs. Like you get not only get to work for a company and get a job, but you get to work for one that, that supports you by buying the, the best software they can buy to support you with, to enable, empower you, to enable you. Um, and that's why we, we did it under, you know, outreach and we ran it as, you know, something for all customers because, you know, it's still, it's still marketing stuff for us. It's still like, you know, we, we want to display that um, we're, we're best in class software and the best companies are still hiring and empowering the reps that they, that, that, that they put in place. And I just think that it is such an amazing and an unfair advantage to have outreach at an organization, but like also if you're a salesperson with a choice, like you shouldn't work at a company that doesn't give you the tools you need to succeed. So we did under under outreach and we did it for our customers and um, and our CEO. So I, I was on a hike on a Saturday and I wrote an email to our leadership team and I just said like, hey, here's something I want to run. And I outlined it and my CEO said, awesome, love it. You can go like do it, get it done. You have to do it. It has to be done ASAP. It has to be done for less than 10K and you can't distract anybody else in the organization. So I, I basically whipped it up in uh, three days and had it launched in three days for, I think it was like 3K. And, uh, and that's cheap for the amount of, it was, uh, it got, um, I think it was like 10,800 something views in the first like 48 hours. Wow. Yeah, I'll take that. And I was, and I was one of them and I remembered. And I, now here we are. <laughs> it's one of those things that like when you do good, you know, it's, it's, you get good PR, good bump and things like that. But we actually help people get jobs. People were writing in like, I got three interviews already from this. This is incredible. That's awesome. Thank so much. Thanks for doing this. So marketing, you know, it's best when it, when it's cheap, it's best when the person on the other end actually feels value. Um, mm -hmm. Best when you can do it quickly. I mean, not everything needs to be super expensive. Yeah, absolutely. The other, the other aspect of this kind of just deviating a little bit from, from that question is how you've seen the tension between marketing and sales with um, sales cycle durations. The fact that, I don't know if it's the fact for you, but the fact for many companies in the marketplace right now that sales cycles might be a little bit uh, longer than usual. They might be a little bit more calculated than usual. They might be deferred. Um, probably that's impacted some of your uh, kind of internal metrics. Has that meant that marketing leads the conversation or that sales are now leading the conversation and marketing are reacting? How do you, uh, from a leadership perspective, how do you manage 
who leads that? Who leads that conversation? I know it's always a dialogue, but still. Yeah, I think that conversation should always be led by sales enablement. I might be an outlier in this in this thinking, but it's the only way that seems to make sense. It's one of those things where like, if multiple people are accountable, nobody's accountable. So like one person has to be accountable. So the way the, the my 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 ideal way to run this is kind of like sales enablement is a bow. It, it your sales and marketing engine's like a bow tie, and sales enablement's the knot in the middle. And so sales is you know one of the triangles on one side, as the knot, and then marketing is the other triangle on the other side. And sales can go back and say, you know, hey, here's what we're hearing from the front lines. We need more. We need more customer stories on X, Y, and Z, on, you know, our enterprise use case for X, Y, and Z. Sales enablement can take the feedback that they hear from the reps, format it for speaking to a marketer and go back to customer marketing and say like, hey, here's what we need. Customer marketing gets it done, goes back to enablement and enablement formats it for speaking to salespeople and, and enabling them. And then sales, the salesperson gets what they want. Same thing with like, hey, we need more demand gen in this area. Okay, demand gen is going to go, you know, like same thing for product marketing. We need collateral on X, Y, and Z. Um, same thing for events. So there needs to be this kind of central hub. And I think sales enablement is the, the, the perfect um, place in the middle of that. As long as you build a good enough program in your sales enablement where it's not just, it's not just rep training and onboarding, but it's actually like ongoing enablement. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, what I was wondering as you as you were sharing that with us is how do you stay, how agile is agile enough and how do you stay agile as the company continues to grow? Like I know outreach.io from several years ago when you guys were a lot smaller than you are today, that methodology that you just described is fantastic. I imagine the bigger you become as an organization, the, the harder or the slower it is to to, to be that pendulum between marketing and sales and the more lag time occurs. So how do you stay lean as you grow bigger? If, if I presume that that's what you want to do. So I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead there, but I presume you want to stay lean so you can be responsive. You know, it's, I don't know if it's staying lean or staying nimble. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about being able to act on things as you see them and not having rules for the sake of rules or things like that. I was at a, um, actually went on my first lunch business lunch yesterday through in, in, since the beginning of COVID where I met up with somebody from, um, from sales, uh, from the sales tech space that I hadn't met before. And, um, we were, we were kind of talking about this topic where it's like, at what, at what point in a company does, you know, things are like, things become, oh, because that's the way we've always done it. Or those are the rules. It's like, well, we make the rules. Did you forget? Like we make the rules here. And unless you're a public company, I mean, for private companies, there are a lot less rules. And I think, you know, there is a certain point where you cross the chasm to like ask for um, permission, no longer forgiveness. But, you know, in the early stages, it's ask for forgiveness, not for permission. And if you screw something up, you get a slap on the wrist. So, you know, you, you want to be able to stay nimble. Um, you want to be smart about it. I think like the earlier stage companies can get away with a lot more than the later stage companies and they can use that to their advantage. It's, it's pretty much their advantage. That's it. That's all they got. So they should be able to use that to their advantage. Um, and, and like we right now we're in that middle stages 
which is an awkward stage. It's like, you're not big enough to get the, like the pros that come with a big company and you're not small enough to get the pros that come with the small company, which is like, you know, you can do whatever you want. And like, you know, I ask for forgiveness later. But um, I, I think though, like it, what you do get is you get better talent, you get better processes put in place, you get learnings that have happened over time, you can start implementing things on. You have to be careful not to say, oh, we're not going to do that because we tried it before, because there are always different variables. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a hard line to, to balance. Um, one of being nimble enough, but also learning from the, the past and putting those, those, uh, those best practices in place. And then, you know, eventually they, they become looked at as rules. And I think that's when you, you've lost the balance, you know, it's like, okay, well, why is this a rule again? Or, or what did we try that didn't work? And now we put this in place. Right. So you have to have an AB test mindset. You have to have a growth mindset for all these things that you do. So where does, what does the, uh, the next steps look like for you? I appreciate the fact that you've been out for, for a short time here, just enjoying your, uh, you know, your, your child who is no longer a newborn, but, but still is very young. Uh, and you're kind of getting back into the swing of things. We're still not out of some of the realities. You know, I'm, I'm over here in Israel right now. We're in our second full lockdown. We've never truly been out of it in the past six months. It's just been different cycles of the same thing. Um, so, yeah, as you come back to kind of uh, gear things back up again, what does next steps look like for you in terms of marketing from a marketing leadership uh, position, Max, um, given the fact that we're not fully out of, out of the woods um, we're going to build two plans for next year and see how it goes. And, you know, you have plan A and a plan B and uh, I end up hybriding the, you know, those things, but our office is closed till July, 2020. Okay. So like whatever we plan is going to be on the conservative side, because realistically like in-person events aren't going back to the way that they were right. before. We might do local dinners, things like that might open up maybe halfway through the year, but you know, if, if offices are closed, conferences aren't going to start back up. But I tell you what, when there's going to be like one whole year when everything opens back up where people like actually want to go to conferences again, and they're going to be so giddy to get out of their houses and like go back to all this stuff. And then that year is going to happen and it's going to all lose its luster again. It's going to, people are going to up. But I also think that we're going to go back to, we're going to go to a time where conferences are, are, are a little bit smaller um, there's going to be a hybrid of in-person and online versus I, I think for a long time, people were like, Oh, you know, I know we can do an online customer conference, but we want to do in-person. If we do online or like a hybrid, we're going to lose people and they're not going to come to the in-person conference. And I think when we come out of this, people are going to do hybrids and realize that like, it's okay if you lose people, but I don't think you will because the people still want to network and, and get the other benefits. But having that hybrid, like the, the virtual stuff's working so well. There's no reason to get rid of that. And I think a lot of these um, these online event platforms are, are going to be, like a lot of the startup ones are going to be the winners here because anybody who offers a hybrid event solution is, uh, is going to be in a good place. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see uh, the, the outcome of this and um, – and what technology has created that actually you know, sticks around for a while. You know, uh, the CEO of, 
of uh, Microsoft said that in according to their data in, in a period of just a couple of months, many businesses and, and companies that they worked with and spoke to have transformed, achieved in, t in two months what they would normally uh, achieve in two years in terms of digital transformation. From your point of view, when, when you were just sharing a moment ago, it felt like a lot of what you were experiencing now was very familiar in terms of the possibilities for uh, you know, online marketing and online sales. Have you, have you truly experienced yourself innovation, evolution, stuff that really surprised you? Or has it mostly just been uh, maybe doubling down on something that was already familiar to you? Um, I think a lot of it's doubling down on things that works. Um, I think our team has been incredibly creative. One of the more creative things that I've seen out there in terms of uh, – doing events in this environment we've done like book clubs celebrity chefs with my 10 minute marker uh notification um it's been it's been great to see how the team has come together to, to get creative about like what we can do in this environment that being said uh you know it's 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 shrunk the scope of what is possible uh, you, you eliminated IRL, so now you got online only. Um, so there's only so much you can do. So I, I think we've done a good job at it. I don't think there's been a ton of groundbreaking things that have come out of this, other than when we go back to in-person events. I think people will be will be pretty um, interested in doing the hybrid uh, online and in-person. Uh, I thought it was pretty incredible. Our virtual, so our conference was canceled five weeks in advance because our conference was April 7th to the 9th and COVID hit in the US hard, like end of February, early March. So March 1st, we called off conference. So we had, we were like, okay, we still need to do something. So we ripped up a virtual event in eight weeks and we had 14,000 people sign up for it. And we had a 50% attendance rate. And we got like some so the benefits of being that early to do our virtual event meant that like way more people signed up because people didn't have Zoom fatigue yet, um, which was awesome. But the the negative was that we didn't get to see like we didn't get to see others do it and get our like blueprints from like our colleagues and peers in the industry. Whereas if you're doing it now, it's yeah everybody's been there done that. So like I can give you a whole plan on how to execute your event and you just like paint by numbers, but your attendance rate and sign-up rate is going to be a lot lower because people are, are zoomed out. So I think we executed pretty beautifully on that. And that to me was like, wow, this is, this is uh, some next level stuff. But other than that, it was just doubling down on, on things that, you know, we thought would work. So, so is it true that you still flew, flew down to San Diego just to, uh, to host your event in situ? <laughs> I, if I could, I would, I, cause I'll go get a burrito from La Perla. And that would make my whole trip worth it. My 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 team uh, knows that's like my my kryptonite. Uh, there's a place called La Perla in San Diego. If you guys go, you like burritos. Anybody listen? Uh huh. Go to La Perla. Get the California burrito. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Max, we're we're almost out of time today. We've really appreciated you know your willingness to come on and share uh, an abundance of experience and insight especially to gauge things from uh, from a marketing leadership perspective um you know and uh and we, 
just want to thank you for ha having you on the RevAmp show. Um, look forward to what you guys are going to do over uh, over the coming months and year. We'll be keeping an eye on, on you guys over at Outreach.io. And, uh, and I hope that we all come out of this sooner rather than later and uh, we can walk around without masks on uh, in the near future. So Max, big, big shout out to you. A uh, huge fan of, of you year on year. You continue to do great work and, uh, and of course, wishing you tons of success in the next steps. Yeah, I, uh, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. All right, Max. Take care. Bye-bye.